my relationship with Dom is both personal and, and as a student, and I want to cover both of those bases, and I'm going to divide my talk into, into both of those things. It's, it's not only 40 years of myths of antitrust. It's uh, about 40 years, actually 41, since I met Dom as a freshman music student. And um, uh, he was my teacher. He was my mentor. Uh, he's my friend. And uh, the person who got me really got me into this business, and he did this by example and by willing to put some time and effort into what was at the time a music major at Hart School of Music at the University of Hartford. And I publicly want to thank him for, uh, for, for doing all that. Um, two things that I, I want to focus on in, in this section uh, where he really uh, influenced me. Interesting stories, I think. Um, I learned a lot from Dom. Uh, courses that I've taught have been modeled after courses that he has taught me. I taught a course called uh, Role of, uh, World of Business at Campbell University, which was, for all intents and purposes, his business and society course. Um, ma many other influences. Um, also, I think uh, the fact that I've always been drawn to policy analysis and have for most of my career worked in the think tank world is largely due to Dom's influence. Uh, even though he spent an entire career as a professor, he always had uh, a, a, at least one and a half feet in the world of policy analysis, writing papers for think tanks, publishing op-eds, confronting the media. Uh, he, he always, to me, seemed to be doing the kind of work that, that that I do, except from the platform uh, of being a university professor. And um, it is in uh, this, area, this area that I felt he was always the most comfortable. And that, and that really uh, rubbed off on me. I always admired the fact uh, that maybe except for teaching, his passion has always been as a public intellectual. Um, but there's two, as I said, there's two, two things I want to focus on. I want to tell you a story. Uh, I was a freshman music student. I was a, a budding libertarian, very budding, uh, barely uh, poking my head out of the ground. And uh, I, I knew very little. I just knew I liked libertarianism. This was in 1971. And so I went into his office and introduced myself. Oh, I had read an article that he had written in the student newspaper. And I said, this guy sounds like a libertarian. I need to go meet him. So I did. I'd never met another libertarian before, <laughs> ever. Um, and so I go into his office. I had a long conversation with him. And, you know, he listened to me. And, and uh, I listened to him. And uh, as I was leaving his office, he obviously became very aware of the fact that I didn't know very much. And he said... You need to learn your arguments or they're going to kill you. And uh, I took that very seriously. And I sort of walked out of his office with my tail between my legs, reeling, realizing I didn't know my arguments. And uh, to this day, that phrase, you know how your, your mother tells you something when you're 12 or something, and it just sort of sticks in the back of your head, right? To this day, that phrase sticks with me. Um, I'm always thinking when I write an op-ed or a policy report or go on the radio to debate some 
you know, loony Soros-funded uh, lefty in North Carolina. I'm always thinking, do I have my arguments down? Because if I don't, they're going to kill me. And consequently, here I am, alive and well. And I want to thank Dom for that. Um, the second thing is not really about a moment or, or anything in particular that he said to me, but just something I have uh, absorbed from being around him uh, so much and, and from reading literally everything he was writing during these my uh, formative years. Uh, he taught me how important it is that your writing actually communicate. He taught me how important writing to your fellow citizens as opposed uh, to your colleagues in the department or even in your discipline really is. And that this means writing intelligently, clearly and succinctly and without jargon. In my line of work, this is incredibly important. And Dom has always been uh, really, really good at that. And I think because of Dom's influence in this area, my writing is much better than it otherwise would be. Whenever I talk to my students or even to my younger colleagues, and they're all younger now, um, about improving their writings, I tell them, read people who write well. That's the best way to learn to write well. And for me, probably the most important of those good writers that I've read over the years um, is Dom. Okay, um, I want to... Turn to, the, turn to the book and say a few things about that. I feel like Marco Rubio here. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> the, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about the second edition, okay? Antitrust and Monopoly. Because um, I think for Austrians... Uh, in, in many ways, this is uh, the more important of the two editions. It is uh, in the second edition where he makes, I think, an important contribution to Austrian theory. Um, in particular, I want to focus on chapter two, which lays out his methodology. And this is, uh, this is material that really didn't appear in myths. It represents what I think is a methodology shift um, from the first book, from, from being very much uh, Schumpeterian to being more uh, Kersnerian. And, um, and, and, and in his theory of monopoly, being very Rothbardian. And with this chapter, he moved his analysis firmly into what, uh, at the time, was the new sort of Austrian paradigm. Um, a lot happened between 1972 and 1982 in Austrian economics, and especially in Dom's area. He wrote seven, in 1972, he wrote Myths, but the year after that came Kersner's Competition and Entrepreneurship, and he, he mentioned that. Um, and uh, in 1974, there was the South Royalton Conference, which he went to, in, in 70, and then and Hayek got the Nobel Prize in 75. There was um, the Hartford con Conference, which Dom ran. And then in 76, there was the Windsor Castle uh, Conference. And out of that came the volume New Directions in Austrian Economics. And uh, he had his critique, which was already discussed, of, uh, uh, of Mises Kersner's uh, monopoly theory. And, and, compared it to Rothbard, and in that book he came down firmly 
In that chapter, he came down firmly in the Rothbardian camp. Um, Now, in this chapter, he first gives a thoroughly subjectivist critique of the standard market failure framework based on perfect competition and demonstrated why this cannot serve as a basis of thinking about antitrust policy or for any kind of meaningful uh, description of the competitive process. Um, But then he goes on to lay out an alternative welfare paradigm, which he got from Kersner's market theory in the price system, um, and, 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 and looks at Kersner's efficiency theory. And then he also um, uh, uh, lays out an alternative uh, Kersnerian theory of competition, uh, he, he, which he calls entrepreneurial competition in the book. And he, he actually lays out the theory of competition first and then sort of backs into the efficiency arguments for it. Um, and I, I, I think, um, from my own thinking about them, it's better for me to, to, to see them flow from the efficiency theory to the, um, to the competition theory. But I actually want to read from the book and um, start with his discussion of efficiency. Now, he just finishes sort of tearing down the, the standard welfare economics paradigm. And then he talks about an alternative view And um, he says, a very different perspective on economic efficiency and resource allocation can be developed directly from a strict subjectivist approach to cost and utility. By the way, this is thoroughgoing praxeology. I mean, I think it's really interesting uh, to see this. Uh, This approach would hold that individual human action is purposeful and aims at accomplishing selected ends by adopting patterns of resource use consistent with those ends. If the means employed in the pursuit of selected ends are consistent with those ends, then the means or plans are said to be efficiently employed. The next step. The efficient accomplishment of ends in a social context requires that particular planned activities dovetail or coordinate with the planned activity of other market participants. Yet, given the complex division of labor and the difficulty of obtaining accurate information, such a dovetailing is not automatic. Indeed, mutually inconsistent plans must be anticipated. If market participants had perfect information, all plans would be fully coordinated and markets would be efficient by definition. Um, The question of social efficiency is not how resources would be allocated if everyone had perfect information. The issue instead is an understanding of the process by which more accurate information is produced, transmitted, and utilized such that a more consistent pattern of social plan coordination can be achieved. So he lays out a a, a vision of, of individual efficiency and then social efficiency, what efficiency means for society. And from that, And that is very Kersnerian. It's it's very much out of Kersner's first price theory book. Um, And then from that, he he, uh, derives essentially a theory of competition. Uh, Again, very Kersnerian, calls it entrepreneurial competition. And uh, again, let me quote, business competition is always always a dynamic process, not a given state of affairs in which suppliers continually strive to offer important alternatives to market participants. Unlike perfectly competitive world, competition is a process of discovering opportunities for profit and then adjusting market conditions so that these opportunities tend to be exploited. If there is any movement toward equilibrium, this process of discovery and market adjustment 
is that movement, and this is why it occurs. Competition is the equilibrating process, not the equilibrium condition, in which businessmen attempt, in the absence of perfect knowledge and homogeneous product, to more closely coordinate their supply plans with the anticipated plans of other market participants. So you can see how what he's doing is he's showing competition leads to social efficiency, um, as, as described uh, prior to that. So he sets up a parallel framework to the standard perfect competition, welfare economics, perfect competition, perfect monopoly framework. Well, we haven't talked about monopoly yet, but what he does here is, uh, as I noted, um, he ties this to Rothbardian monopoly theory. And um, which he needs to do because you get, it, it, he, Kersner's monopoly theory does not follow from Kersner's own competition theory. Okay? Rothbard's monopoly theory follows from Kersner's competition theory. And, uh, and Dom, I think, recognized that in, intuitively. And, uh, so under, under, uh, monopoly, he says, to reject the standard theory of monopoly power and resource mis misallocation is not to reject all such theories. If competition is a process in which entrepreneurs are free to offer more attractive opportunities to other market participants, then the power to arbitrarily restrict such offers and market adjustments can be defined as monopoly power. And since the adjustment process is inherent in the very working of the free market itself, the power to restrict entry and market adjustment must arise from outside the market. And then he goes on to say it's government franchises, it's patents, uh, and, and so on. He, he says it's, it's government privilege that creates monopoly, period, of end, end of story. And the contribution here, um, which flows, I think, and he shows, flows directly from Kersnerian, uh, uh, competition theory um, is really an important insight that I don't think has been appreciated um, uh, in the literature and certainly wasn't up till that time. Um, he built a bridge from Kersner on competition to Rothbard on uh, monopoly. And, and that um, what actually flows from from Kersner's view is uh, is Rothbard's monopoly theory. Um, now, let me say, I, I, at the time, and Dom can correct me, uh, uh, at the time, I don't think that that's consciously what he was doing. As I said, he was just thinking uh, about the arguments. He was looking at Kersner's theory and and just going logically where it took him. But I think, um, in retrospect, that's exactly what he did. Uh, he was integrating certain ideas in Austrian economics that were in the literature at the time into a coherent narrative. And I think in terms of Austrian economics, this was uh, a very important contribution. So I'm going to leave it at that. I think I'm under my time. Should I dance? Uh, <laughs> Okay, with that, um, I think whoever was next on the top. Thanks.